we'll make a start. Nice to see you. Just to um, welcome you to Liberty Church. My name is Neil. I'm the, the pastor of Liberty Church. So we're a church plant, our cornerstone church, um, Liverpool, which is just up the road on Penny Lane. And um, we're pretty new, so we started in February this year. Um, going through a series in 1 Corinthians at the moment. Um, if you are visiting, really welcome, really glad that you're with us this morning. I just want to ask you um, a question as we start. I want you just to think about this. What does it mean to be known? What does it mean to be known and to, and to be truly known? Not kind of known as in... I've just met you on the way in and I know your name known or I know my wife because I've kind of lived with her for, for 10 years known but, but truly, truly known like the, the, the inner workings of who you are known. What does, it, what does it feel like for you to be known deeper than your exterior? I'm just going to throw up a couple of verses here. This is from Psalm 139. This is what David says that King David as he is writing this and he is thinking on this himself he says this lord you have examined me and know all about me you know when i sit down and when i get up you know my thoughts before i think them you know where i go and where i lie down you know everything i do lord even before i say a word you already know it. king david is saying that that the god his lord his king knows him Knows everything about him. Knows when he sits down, when he gets, gets up. Knows his thoughts even before David has thought them himself. He knows everything that David does. And this is David, folks. This is God. This is God Almighty knowing David. If you know anything about King David, you know that this is a man who was marked by his sin. Marked by his betrayal. Marked as, as someone who, who was an adulterer, who, who betrayed his best friend. And yet he's saying God knows him. Knows him intimately, knows him deeply, has a, has a relationship with him. He goes on in verse 7 to 10 and, and says this, Where can I go away from your spirit? Where can I run from you? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I lie down in the grave, you are there. If I rise with the sun in the east and settle in the west beyond the sea, even there you would guide me. With your right hand, you would hold me. King David, David who was marked by his sin. Saying, God, this God knows me. He knows me intimately. And just think for a minute who this God is. This is a God who is a creator. God who is all-powerful. God who is infinitely wise. This is the God who placed the stars into their positions. This is the God who created the sun. We can't even look at the sun. It's 93 million miles away. And we can't even look at the sun without being blinded by it. And David is saying the God, the creator who made that sun, knows me and holds me. Think about that for a minute. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ this morning, that same God knows you intimately. And hold you. All of us need to hear that this morning. Before we even get into our text in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, we need to know that, that the God who is above everything knows us. And he holds us. Despite us being people who are marked by our sin, marked by our rebellion, marked by our betrayal, God still desires to know us and have an intimate, deep, deeper than surface level relationship with us. The God who loves us and knows us is a relational God. He is not distant. He doesn't just create everything we see and he isn't just infinitely wise and, and, and puts things out and lets them roll out on their own. No, he steps into our lives. All of, of the history of the Bible is a history of, of God relating personally with his people. A God who knows us, as David says there, knows us better than we even know ourselves. And this isn't just a God who knows but this is a God who acts on his knowledge as well. That he creates us, he knows us, but, but he doesn't just place us into our existence. He steps in and he doesn't remain silent. All of the biblical history that we know is a story of God speaking into humanity. Not just creating and stepping back, but being intimately involved. You look at the second page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3. Adam and, Adam and Eve blow it, they sin, they rebel. And what do you see is a picture of God walking through the garden, speaking out, 
want to communicate with his creation, even in their sin. You see, the prophets and the judges, God sending these, these men and, and, and these women to speak into the lives of humanity, not leaving us in our confusion, but showing us a better way to live. You see in the New Testament, the Gospels, God himself, Jesus, the Son of God, coming incarnate, living amongst us, speaking into our lives, showing us, again, a better way to live. You see Jesus die, resurrect, ascend, and then he empowers his disciples to speak more. You see the apostles writing the letters that we have in the New Testament. Again, God speaking to his creation, not leaving us on our own to try and work things out, but, but wanting to walk with us, wanting to, to have an intimacy with us, wanting to relate with his creation. And he speaks. God knows us and he speaks into our lives. And not just kind of Words which just cover, cover everything out here, just on the general scale. But he speaks directly into the hearts of his children. That's what David's saying. God knows me. He knows my inner workings. He knows before I think. He knows what is going on in my heart. As we work through the passage this morning, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14. Bear that in mind. So if you're visiting with us this morning, we've gone through the whole of, of 1 Corinthians all the way up to chapter 14. We've taken it verse by verse, literally just working through every verse as the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, trying to understand what he's, he's communicating to his church. And we're just taking a, a step out just for a couple of weeks as we get to chapter 14 to look specifically about, about the signs, spiritual gifts, specifically at prophecy, tongues and healing. So if you're coming this morning and you're hoping to get a verse by verse kind of step through chapter 14, you're not going to get that. We did some of that last week. We're going to um, look at that in a couple more weeks. But we're just going to step back and look specifically about the, about the gift of prophecy. As we walk through this, bear this in mind that this is all about a God who loves his people. He wants to speak directly into our hearts. The backdrop of where we are in Corinth, if you've got your Bibles, you could turn there to page 960 in the in our church bibles or just uh, 1 corinthians chapter 14 if you've got your own bible the backdrop of of where we are in uh, the book and the context of what paul is writing into is is a church 2000 years ago a church that, that paul has pastored he's been there for three years he's planted this church he's he's taught them he's he's kind of formed them and then he leaves to go away and within months of him leaving he gets reports back of this church being all over the place. And this is a church that has been given gifts from God, spiritual gifts particularly. And instead of being humbled by these gifts, instead of, instead of seeing the giver, the, the great God, the powerful God who, who has shown himself to be, to be higher than anything else that has been created, the God who has placed the planets into motion. The God who breathes life into our being. Instead of being humbled by the giver of the gifts, they chase after the gift and they elevate themselves. They boast about having the gift of tongues or having the gift of prophecy and they try and position themselves. Last week we saw that actually the right position for the church to have as we receive these spiritual gifts is to be humbled by them. It's not to be elevated, it's not to abuse them. But actually we, we, we use these gifts and we function in, in these gifts to, to fundamentally glorify God and to build up the body. That's why God gives those gifts. And the position that we always work from, when we engage in prophecy or tongues or whatever it is, the position we always work from is love. That is the foundation of the gifts. You see that in verse 1 of chapter 14. Let's just remind ourselves, Paul says again, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Before you do anything, before you desire any spiritual gifts, love, love the body, love God just as he loves us. We've said this before, even though this church is messy, even though they abuse the gifts, Paul doesn't say don't desire them. Pursue love, correct your attitude and then earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire them. Deeply desire them. Ask God for the spiritual gifts. And especially in verse 1, especially 
that you may prophesy. So we're going to take some time this morning to walk through what is prophecy. Who can prophesy? When should we prophesy and how should we prophesy? We're going to just go through each of those things and work out. And this isn't going to be a kind of, um, um, as I say, a verse by verse and pulling out of chapter 14. We're going to be all over the place in different books of the Bible. So if you're not kind of familiar with the Bible, just keep in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you want to follow, I'll try my best to, to kind of give out the verses where we are and you can keep up. Well, this week we're going to look at prophecy. Next week we're going to look at tongues. And can I just encourage you, we're not going to cover everything today. So much that I'd like to say that we just haven't got time to say. And the, the place that we work these things out is in our midweek, meet, our midweek meetings, our gospel communities. So this is going to leave you with a ton of questions at the end. It will. I know it will. Please keep them and bring them on Wednesdays. We gather together and we'll work those through together. But before we go any further, let me pray. And then we'll step in. Father, we thank you for the gift that it is to gather like this. We thank you that we have your word and we have your spirit. And it is our conviction that, that those things come together with a beautiful convergence. That we cannot understand your word without your spirit illuminating it to us. And we know that as he does that, he always exalts the Son. So we ask that that's what would happen this morning. That Jesus, you would be exalted, that you would be glorified amongst us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would bring clarity where there is confusion. That where it needs to be black and white, you would make it black and white this morning and remove any grains. And we ask this in your name. Amen. So first off, what is it? What is prophecy? Well, here's a, a, a really simple kind of statement which helpfully just, uh, hopefully helps us get our head around it. And, and, and it's very kind of basic form. Prophecy is a human report of a divine revelation human report of a divine revelation. I want to kind of step through word by word what that means. Uh, and, and first off, it's, it's a human report. This is something that is spoke by humans. Men and women speak forth a divine revelation. And can I just say this isn't reserved for an elite few. This isn't reserved for, for the pastors or the elders of a church. This isn't reserved for, for um, Old Testament prophets. No, this is something which is given as a gift to the church. You don't need to have a degree or a qualification in, in prophecy. This is something that is given to human beings in the life of the church. So it is a human report. It is a report. It is spoken or written down. It is a human report of a divine revelation. So humans speaking forth or writing something that divinely, which just means it comes from God, something that is revealed by God. A human report of a divine revelation. I want to just kind of pack that out a little bit with a few more words. And again, I'm just going to step through these word by word to help us get our, get our mind around what this is. It's a human report of a divine revelation, but it is a weighed human report of a spontaneous divine revelation which has been given by the Holy Spirit. And let me just take a few words out of this and just go a little bit deeper. Firstly, revelation. So a human report is spoken forth, is written by men and women. It's from God, it is divine. And what comes is a revelation. Prophecy is always based on revelation. So if you look down in chapter 14 at verse 30, Paul says, if a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. The, the interpretation of what he's saying there is literally, if to another who is sitting, it is revealed. Prophecy is a revelation. It's, it's the revealing of something. And when you see that word in the New Testament, revelation or reveal, every time it is used, it is always relating to, to divine activity. It is always relating to God speaking forth. Not a human, but God speaking forth. And we can maybe sit here and when we hear revelation and we hear, we hear us being given a revelation, for some of us, just knowing some of our backgrounds, we can get a little bit nervous about that. And we think, really, will God give us a revelation when we're told that actually in the last chapter of this book, in, in, in the book of Revelation, John says, John warns anyone who might add or take away from this revelation. In fact, he says that your name might be blotted out of the book of life if you do that. And what we aren't saying is that this revelation will add to any words that are in here. This is closed. God has spoken in here and he's not going to add any more revelation about who he is or who we are in light of who he is. 
but he will reveal things to us. Things that are helpful for us to to understand about the world, about each other, about his word. He's not going to add to his word, but he will bring understanding. He will reveal things through prophecy. And he says this all the way through the New Testament. You can go to Philippians chapter 3, verse 15. You can go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. More verses where where Paul uh, clearly says that that's what God does. He reveals things to his children. So it's a revelation. It's a revelation given by the Holy Spirit. As we've said a few weeks ago, these gifts, the spiritual gifts, are given by God, empowered by the Holy Spirit. That's what these gifts are. If you flick back in your Bible quickly to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, you see the disciples gathering at Pentecost. And you see Jesus at the end of the Gospels. He's died. He's, he's, He's resurrected. He's ascended. And he gives a promise to his disciples that a helper will come. And you see at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes. And he, and he comes out like uh, tongues of fire and, and it rests on the disciples and they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter, the Apostle Peter, stands up and gives his first sermon in Jerusalem. And in verse 17, he quotes from the prophet Joel. This is the Old, the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Peter stands up here. And this is what the prophet Joel said in verse 17 of chapter 2. In the last days it shall be, God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. Peter is saying that that there is an outpouring of the spirit and, and one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit being poured out on his people is prophecy. Young men will see visions, old men will see dreams, men and women. They will prophesy as the Holy Spirit is poured out. The Holy Spirit is God. He is the third person of the Trinity. So this is God speaking. Prophecy is God speaking forth. And here's what we need to understand. The prophecy is us receiving from God through the Holy Spirit, inspired, perfect, inerrant and flawless revelation. But it is given as a human report. We aren't flawless. We aren't perfect. We aren't inerrant. So what God speaks forth is always perfect. It is. He's God. Everything he speaks forth is perfect truth. But it's given as a human report. The revelation is inspired, but our report may not be. Our thinking is probably imperfect. We need to see that New Testament prophecy is different to Old Testament prophecy. So when the Old Testament prophets would speak, they would say things like, thus says the Lord, or they they would say, God says this, X, Y, and Z, and they would speak the perfect, inspired words of God. The apostles do the same. They, they They have words which are inspired by God through the Holy Spirit. But when we speak prophecy, we speak as beings who are broken, who are marked by our sin who don't think perfectly. And so the words of God come to us inspired and perfect. But as we speak forth, they may not necessarily be perfect. And that's why prophecy should be weighed. What I mean by weighed is that it's tested. Because what we speak forth might not be perfectly inspired, it needs testing and regulating. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 um, verse 19 to 22 let me just read this to us this is paul speaking again and he says this do not quench the spirit do not despise prophecies but test everything and hold fast to what is good paul's saying test what you hear test prophecy you see again in, in our uh, portion in 1 corinthians chapter uh, 14 verse 29 if you flick back to that passage paul says this he says Um, If there is no one to interpret, let each one of them keep silent in the church and speak to um, himself. Let two or three prophets speak and let others weigh what is said. We weigh prophetic words as they come forth. We test them. We sift the words that come out of our mouth or written down through prophecy with the word. When we we feel that God might be leading us towards, we feel like we might be hearing from God, we don't just kind of speak that forth. We test it against scripture. 
which is perfect, which is inerrant. We assess what is coming from God against what might be coming from our human speaking and our human lives. And what about spontaneous? A weighed human report of a spontaneous divine revelation. Prophecy is prompted by the Spirit. It's spontaneous. Again, verse 30. Um, Paul says this, If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let him first be silent. And the picture is that the people have gathered together and someone receives something spontaneously sitting there. They haven't been kind of sitting studying the scriptures and they're not sharing something that they've been mulling over for a time and studied. This comes to them spontaneously. And prophecy comes in, in, in pictures, in dreams, in impressions. What I mean by an impression is just feeling something. You just feel a, a weight of something that you just feel that God is leading you to, to say something or, or to be convicted about something. Prophecy can be words of knowledge and words of wisdom as well. So you do see them listed out as separate gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But it's interesting in verse 25 of chapter uh, 14, Paul is, is, is talking about the example of an unbeliever coming in from outside of the church. And he says this, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed and fallen on his face. He will worship God and declare that God is really among you. That There is a word of knowledge for him there. And Paul equates that with prophecy. A word of knowledge about the sin that he is engaged in, that is spoken forth. So pictures, dreams, impressions, words of knowledge, words of wisdom. I'll tell you what prophecy isn't, and a lot of us from, from, from our background and knowing our background need to see this and hear this. It's not preaching. It can be preaching, so a preacher can be, can, can be expanding a text, and, and God, by his spirit, spontaneously gives him something to share with the congregation. But it's not primarily preaching. Primar primarily preaching is worked through. It's studied. It's, it's kind of uh, the preacher's knowledge coming being drawn through the text. It's not spontaneous. Paul differentiates between prophets and teachers in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 12. It's disclosing the secrets of the heart. Here's some examples that, that you see the prophetic being worked out, disclosing the secrets of the heart. You see that here in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 25. This happened all the time to Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon, kind of um, the preacher of preachers. And he would stand and he would kind of be preaching through a text, preaching that is, that's not the prophetic, preaching the word of God. And God would give him a picture of someone in the congregation. And he, he writes these things in his diaries. There was one time he, he kind of looked down, he was preaching, and he literally stopped. It wasn't even the text that he was preaching on. Stopped in the middle of his sermon, pointed out a young guy in the congregation and said, young man, those gloves that you are wearing have not been paid for. You've stolen them from your employer. And said it in front of the whole congregation. And the, and the young guy afterwards came up to Spurgeon and said, please don't tell my mum <laughs> what happened. And, and that came from the Spirit spontaneously. Spurgeon didn't know that. He didn't know the guy. But God, by his Spirit, in the middle of his plan preaching, gave him a word of prophecy to disclose the secrets of that man's heart. Prophecy can be given as a warning. You see this in Acts 21, verse uh, 4. Paul is given a warning by the disciples in Tyre, a warning not to go to Jerusalem. It can be a passage of scripture or guidance for decision making. You see this in Acts chapter 13, where, where the church in Antioch are being led um, through prophecy to send Paul and Barnabas out to the Gentiles. Think about that. It is prophecy that sends Paul and Barnabas out to the Gentile world. The very reason that we are sitting here today, none of us are Jews, I'm assuming, this morning. The very reason that we are here sitting as we are this morning is because a word of prophecy was spoken into the church of Antioch for Paul and Barnabas to go to the Gentiles. Isn't that incredible? Prophecy can be given as a revelation of, of um, supernatural providence or healing. In Acts 14, verse 9 and 10, you see Paul in Lystra and he sees a man and he speaks right into his heart and he sees that the man has, has faith to be healed. Prophecy can be that um, um, God wants to impart a spiritual gift to someone. So in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14, Paul describes the elders, uh, presumably the elders in the church in Ephesus, laying hands on Timothy and imparting a spiritual gift as they prophesy over him. Every time prophecy is brought, it is always for the upbuilding of the church. Let's never forget that. 
So it can come in different forms. Warning. It can come in, in, in disclosing the secrets of the heart, in, in passages of scripture, in guidance. But every time it is brought, it is for upbuilding. It's for encouragement. It's for the consolation of the person who is receiving it. You see that in verse 3 of chapter 14. And every time a word of prophecy is given, three things will always take place. Initially, there will be a revelation. God will give a picture, a, 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 an impression, a dream. He will give that revelation. And then there will follow an interpretation. Now, that interpretation could, could be given to you. It might be given to the person you are sharing that prophetic word with. It might be given by another, but there will always be an interpretation. And that might take time. It might come immediately. It might take days or weeks or even years for the interpretation to come. And then thirdly, there will always be an application. So you receive that word. And you don't just ignore it. You don't just kind of throw it off and pretend it never happened. You receive that word and you apply it. You walk in it. You, you test it. You see if it is for you. And if it is, then you walk in obedience to that word. There is revelation, interpretation, and application. So that's what prophecy is. And we haven't covered everything there. We're going to work through this more in detail through the week. But, but as a summary, prophecy is a weighed human report of a spontaneous Divine revelation given by the Holy Spirit. So who can prophesy? Well, anyone who is a Christian. Anyone who is a Christian can prophesy. This isn't reserved for men. Paul's really clear, and it's clear in Acts, it's clear in Joel, that, that this is a gift that's given to men and women, not just to the, 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 the pastors or elders in the church. The Spirit is poured out on all flesh. And Paul's desire here in verse 5 of chapter, five, of chapter 14, Paul desires that all would prophesy. And that doesn't mean necessarily that everyone will. You look down at verse 24 and, and, um, and, and Paul says, but if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters. So, so there's certainly, certainly potential that all could prophesy. But I don't necessarily think that everyone will. I think Paul's desire is that everyone will because he knows that this will be for the upbuilding of the church and he wants everyone to be built up. And so he sees prophecy as a means to do that. So he wants everyone to prophesy. But back in verse in chapter 12, Paul says, not everyone will be prophets. And when he says prophets there, he's talking about people who prophesy. Not everyone will be prophets. So who can prophesy? There isn't any limitation. If you're a born again believer and the spirit dwells in you, and you can prophesy. If we ask God for that gift, we can ask him and ask expectantly that he may give it to us. That doesn't necessarily mean that everyone will. Okay, so when should we prophesy? When should we prophesy? Broadly speaking, we should prophesy until the coming of Jesus. If you look back up in chapter 30, let me just read a few verses to us from verse 8. In chapter 13, Paul says this, love never ends. So love will endure forever. It's eternal. Love will be in the new creation. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Skip down to verse 12. For now we see in the mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So love will endure forever. But Paul is saying there will come a time when prophecies will cease. When the perfect comes, he says, prophecies will cease. And if I just take a step back for a minute, this is a passage that those who, who are, are convinced and convicted that actually prophecy, tongues, healing, the sign spiritual gifts stopped with the death of the last apostle. This is a, this, these are verses that they will go to. To say that the that prophecies aren't continuing for us, that they've ceased. And what they will say is the perfect has come. They would say that we have the finished word of God. We have perfection here, that, that God has spoken perfectly, so it's come already. The perfect has come, so there will be no more prophecy. Prophecy will cease, as it says in verse 8. But look down in verse 12. Paul says, Now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully. So let me ask you a question. Do we know fully now? Do we know all that we want to know? Do we know who God is fully? Do we know who we are fully now? 
No. Paul is looking forward to a time. Looking forward to a time when prophecies won't be required anymore. When the perfect comes. When we will fully know and we will be fully known. And that time is not yet. That time will come when we dwell with our Lord and our King Jesus for all eternity. That is the perfection that we are walking towards and waiting for. So until that day comes, prophecy remains. Tongues remain. So broadly speaking, we should prophesy until Jesus comes back. Specifically, when should we prophesy? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is written to, to the church to instruct them about the corporate gathering. He's instructing them about what prophecy looks like when, when we gather together like we gather together this uh, morning. In verses 29 to 31, he gives specific instruction of how it should be done when we gather together as we do now. He says, each one should speak in turn that no more than two or three should, should prophesy at one time. So when should we prophesy? There should be room to do it as we gather on Sunday mornings. We need to make room for the corporate gathering. It's good and right that we should, we should allow time and space for God to speak into our hearts and to reveal things to us. So there should be room in the corporate gathering. That doesn't mean it's excluded for not being used out of the corporate gathering. Actually, when you see prophecy being used in the book of Acts, it's usually not in the gathering. It's, it's in different, all sorts of different contexts. And actually, you think of how the church in Corinth was structured, that there wasn't a lot of kind of structure to how they met and how they gathered. Paul said if one brings a, a teaching or one brings a hymn, like the, it, it just feels and it sounds quite... quite um, um, different in how it's structured in terms of how we structure things and also it wasn't kind of big gatherings they met in small gatherings in homes so it was maybe more practical for them to have space and room and time we're here till half 11 then we get chucked out it's just the practicality of not being able to open things out for for as much time as we want to but there is and there should be space in the corporate gathering but also outside of the corporate gathering in our gospel communities and smaller gatherings when we're meeting together in each other's homes, when we're, when we're talking and praying together with our spouses. We should find safe spaces that we can do this. Spaces where we can be encouraged, where we can be built up. Spaces where it's practical to do. So broadly, we do this until Jesus comes back. And specifically, we find safe, encouraging, practical spaces, both in the Sunday morning and in our smaller gatherings to pursue the gift of prophecy. How should we prophesy? How should we prophesy? Let me just kind of think of an example. Imagine we're kind of sitting here and we're, we're maybe singing or having a time of prayer and God gives you a picture. And it could be a picture for the church or it could be a picture for an individual. How do we kind of, where do we go from there? Well, unless that picture, unless the, the prophecy, the revelation that God gives you by his spirit is scripture, and therefore it is inerrant, it is perfect, unless it is that, don't just speak forth that word straight away. Test that word. Test it, allow it to be weighed. Verse 29, again, Paul says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Paul is saying that, that, that we should go to others and share that prophecy. Weigh what is said with other people. But if we do believe that the prophetic word that we've been given or the picture or the dream or the impression, whatever it is, is given by God and we've tested it and it is a, it is a clear encouragement for the individual, go and share it with them. Practical, I'd say, write it down. Write it down and share it with them. If it's not a simple encouragement, if it's not scripture, if it's something, particularly if it's something that is, is exposing sin, or it's something about someone's relationship or health. Or this is something that, that is to be, be received by the wider church. Then don't stand up and share that. Those words should always be passed to an elder for them to weigh, for them to walk that through. The reason is in verse 33 of chapter 14, Paul says, God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. If those words are kind of given and just spoken out without being tested and without being spoken forth in the right context, and that could bring confusion. And then in verse 40, Paul says, everything is to be done in decency and in order. 
If we just kind of stand up and just speak words out to the church, words that could direct the church in a certain direction or words specifically for someone's relationship or health without really knowing that person or, or, or having any context, that can, be, that can bring disorder. So I've experienced this in the previous church that we, we literally had an open, um, open mic and people would come and people from outside the church, inside the church, it didn't matter where you would come, you could come and share any word at this mic. And it was untested, it was unweighed, and it was, it was reckless. Because words were being spoken that were incorrect. And it was causing confusion, and it was causing disorder. So if you've given a word by God, and it is not directly from Scripture, or it is not a simple word of encouragement, sit, test it, and weigh, and weigh it. Weigh it with, with others, and it has the right gravity, then bring it to an elder and share it with us and we will walk that through with you that's the kind of nuts and bolts of how this might work in the corporate gathering or when we gather together in smaller groups but let's just back up and just think more fundamentally how is this going to work some of us here have never engaged in this this is something totally new for us and if we're going to walk in obedience to what Paul uh, leads us to in verse 1 that we earnestly desire the spiritual gifts and especially prophecy. How do we do that? Firstly, ask. Ask. Ask God to give you this gift. Ask. Keep asking. If you don't receive the gift of prophecy, ask again. Be persistent. Be bold in your asking. Tell God that you want to walk in obedience to, to his word and his command here so you're asking him for the gift of prophecy. See God as a father that we see him in Luke chapter 11, who is a good father who wants to give his children good gifts. Ask, seek, and knock. Ask him for the gift of prophecy. Secondly, ask for help. Ask for the help of the Spirit as you you try and work out what this is. Read chapters 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians. Read the book of Acts. Prophecy is all over the book of Acts. Read the Old Testament. 25% of what you read in the Bible is prophetic. It's all over the Word of God. Specifically, specifically read the book of Acts with your eyes open. Read good books as well about prophecy. Thirdly, take time to actually do this. Take time to, to listen to God. If you're folks who pray, take time to stop speaking and listen. I don't know if you have these people in your life who just talk all the time. And you want to give them, you want to tell them something and, and share something with them. But you can't because they literally just talk at you all the time well they're never going to hear from you unless they stop and listen it's exactly the same in prayer if, if we want to hear from god sometimes we need to stop 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 talking and listen sit in the quiet and listen to what he might be speaking to us take time when we pray to do that make that part of our rhythms as we pray every day to leave room for god to speak as we worship, as we stand up together. Take time as you sing these songs to, to, to listen to God. What might he be sharing with you for someone else in the body? So ask, ask for help, listen. And when he speaks, test it. Test it. We talked about how we might do that, sharing that with others, sharing that with the elders. If it's not something that needs to be evaluated by the elders, if it is a simple encouragement or a word of scripture, share it. Share it with that other person. Not every prophecy that we receive is for sharing. Some of it might just be for intercession. So I've had this sometimes uh, uh, where God will just literally wake me up and I'll be thinking of someone just from, from nowhere and I'll be praying for that person. And then you ask that person maybe a few weeks later about if they're okay and there's Things just line up about the timings and, and sometimes God will just impress something on your heart to pray for something. But if it is something to be shared, test it and share it. If you are in doubt, if you are in doubt, wait. There's no harm in waiting. God isn't kind of limited by us thinking, oh, I just want to wait and just kind of test this a bit more and pray into it a bit more. That's okay. Wait. Romans chapter 12, verse 6, Paul says there that, that we exercise the gift of prophecy in proportion to our faith. So if God has impressed something on your heart which is, which is big, which has big consequence and big significance, you should be taking that to the church leaders. 
And you should sit and wait on that. But if our conviction, if your conviction is God has given you something, that there is a divine revelation that is for the encouragement of the individual, speak. Share it. Knowing that this is a human report of a divine revelation. Therefore, it might not necessarily be, be the exact words that, that God has wanted me to share, but, but humbly, I feel that God is telling tell me this. That's how we speak. We don't say, I know 100%, God has given me this, and, and he wants you to X, Y, Z. No, we say, I feel that God wants, he's laid this on my heart. I feel that God is leading me towards sharing this, this passage with you, or I just feel like I want to pray this specifically. We can't say 100%, God said this. We speak knowing that this is a human report of a divine revelation. And folks, what if we make a mistake? What if you share it and, and it's wrong? Can I say you almost certainly will? But remember that the foundation of the gift of prophecy is love. Love from, from, from those who are, who are engaging in that gift and love from those who are receiving it. Folks, let's, let's walk in this gr with, with grace and humility. Let's walk in it knowing that we probably will make mistakes. So we're going to see on Wednesdays, we work this through in the gospel community, even the disciples made mistakes. You see it written down in Acts. They, they speak prophecy and actually they get it wrong sometimes. But we are in a community who loves one another, who are pursuing love before we pursue the gifts. So we engage in this humbly, with grace and love. Finally, as I wrap up, why should we prophesy? Why should we even want to desire this gift? Because fundamentally, when we prophesy, God is glorified as the body is built up. God is glorified when we are encouraged. Even when sin is exposed. You see in, this, in, in the example that Paul gives here, the unbeliever drops to their knees and they're saved. That's encouraging for the body. That's encouraging for the individual. As we engage and we pursue this gift, let's not ask for prophecy because we love the gift, but because we love God and we love the body. And prophecy is a beautiful way that God expresses his love for his children. Think about that. As you receive a specific word, as God saying, I know you. I know you more than you know yourself. Just like David said. I know you better than you know yourself. Better than anyone else in this world knows you. I know you and I love you and I care for you. It is a beautiful way that God engages in his relationship with his children. Shows that he is not distant and he is not far off. But he is in this. He is in the struggle. He is in the battle. He is in our joys and he is in our sorrows and he knows us he really knows us and he cares for us folks we neglect this gift to our own and to others detriment so let's pray for it let's pray earnestly for the gift of prophecy let's practice the gift of prophecy let's make, make space to, to engage in the gift of prophecy let's pursue one another with love as we do that I know that the time that we live in, we, a lot of us come with baggage when it comes to this. That we've seen this being abused and we've seen this done in, on, in unhelpful ways. But what an opportunity we have as a church to do this well. To make this part of our natural rhythms. To make this something that our children, as they grow up, engage in naturally in a safe space. Thinking that this is just normal, this is just what the church does. This is just another way that God our Father engages with us relationally. So let's pursue this for the glory of God and the good of his body. Folks, there are so many questions that we haven't answered there. We're going to leave things there and I'm going to kind of lead into communion. I would really encourage us to read through the passages, chapter 12, 13, 14, to come on Wednesdays. We gather as a gospel community. Bring your questions that you've got. Bring things that need to be clarified. Bring your fears. Bring your hopes. And we'll work those three things through together. As we close, let me pray, and then we'll lead into communion. Father, we just thank you for this gift. We thank you that you would love us so much that you would 
make ways for us to be able to, to see tangibly how you pursue us, how you show us that you know us, how even though we are marked by our sin, you still know us and you hold us and you love us. Father, we thank you that you've given the church tools and ways for us to build one another up. Ways for the body to grow as, as we hope that you would do, that even unbelievers would be transformed as the gift of prophecy is worked out in their life. Father, we thank you that you give, you've given us instruction and examples of how to do this well. I pray that we would. I pray that we would first off all desire this gift. That we would walk in obedience to your word and earnestly desire it from a place of love, not for the gift, but love for you and love for the body. Help us in our weakness. Help us in our sin as we engage in this. Help us to fight for, for, for one another and fight for your glory as we seek to walk in this faithfully. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would keep teaching us. Keep showing us what this looks like. Keep showing us how to do this well, how to do this in a way which truly and genuinely will be for the building up of the body. And in all this we ask that you will be glorified. Father, Son and Spirit. And Lord Jesus, it's in your name we pray. Amen. So we share this meal together, the wine, the juice and the bread. We take this knowing that the gift of prophecy, the spiritual gifts are only possible because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. That Joel, the prophet Joel, hundreds of years before Peter speaks those words out in Jerusalem. Joel is looking forward to a time when, when the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all believers. And that time came. As Jesus died on the cross, he made a way for our sins to be forgiven. As he resurrected and, and, and went into the presence of the Father, he did that to declare that our sins have been forgiven. Our sins, the debt of our sin, have been paid for by Jesus. And his disciples wait in the upper room in Jerusalem. They promise the Holy Spirit comes to them and indwells them. And only then are they able to engage in the gifts that God gives them. Like prophecy. So this, this beautiful gift that God has given us is only possible because of the shed blood and the broken body of Jesus. Without that we wouldn't be able to be indwelt by the Spirit. The same Spirit that, that gave those words to Joel and, 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 and helped him in, by his inspired word write them down. The same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead. That same Spirit is dwelling in each and every one of us who will confess Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. And that same Spirit desires to speak through the prophetic for the glory of God and for the upbuilding of the church. So we take this meal in thanks. We take it thankfully that we have received that Spirit. That we drink together from one spirit. We have a union because of the shared blood and the broken body of Jesus Christ. We take this meal as a sign of our union. And we take this meal knowing that we are sinners as we come to this table. Knowing that we are imperfect. Knowing that as that divine revelation comes to us, we are broken people. Marked by our sin. But yet God still chooses to use us. So as we take this, I'd invite you to come up. I'm going to pray and give thanks for the bread and the juice and the wine. Before you come up, I just encourage you to take a minute or two just to sit where you are and just to confess of your sin. Acknowledge that you are a weak and broken vessel that God mercifully and graciously still wants to use. But you are marked by your sin. Think about how you've offended the heart of God this week. Think about specific sins, confess of them and repent of them. And then as you come up, celebrate that those sins have been forgiven. That because we are indwelled by the Spirit, because we are, we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ. That we are still sinners, but we are not defined by our sin. We are called sons and daughters of the living God. That God is pleased with us. That because we are indwelled by the Spirit, we, now, we are now with Him. We are present with him and he is present with us. That our sin no longer divides us, but his spirit unites us. And so give thanks for that. Celebrate that as you come and share this meal. Know that your sins have been forgiven, that he has made a way through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. 
And also we take this time for care. So the small glasses here are for, for you if you want to kind of take this back and share communion with someone as you're sitting. You can come up and take it and take some of the bread and take one of the small glasses back and you can share this um, with someone that you came with or if God is leading you to share something with someone this morning. And maybe this is a time to take communion and start that by just sharing this meal and giving thanks to God for the gift of his spirit that is sealed through Jesus' sacrifice for us. So let me pray as we take this. Come up when you're ready. Take some time to pray before you come up. And take this back to your seat if you want or you can take it at the front. And then when we're done, uh, Elizabeth and Matty will lead us through song. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this meal. We thank you that as we celebrate the gift of prophecy which is given to your church, that, that that is only possible because of everything that this meal symbolizes. We are only able to receive the gifts that you give us because of the sacrifice which your son Jesus gave for us. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your death on the cross. We thank you for your body which was broken, for your blood which was shed so our sins could be forgiven. We thank you that you didn't remain in the grave, that three days later you resurrected, affirming that our sins had been forgiven, that the payment for our sin had been paid in full. We thank you that before you left, you gave us the promise of your Holy Spirit. And all who believe, all who would see you as their Lord and their King, have your Spirit dwelling within us, affirming that we are who you say we are. We are sons and daughters of the living God. We are redeemed. We are ransomed. We have been reconciled. We have been brought back into a relationship with our Father. And so we thank you for all that this meal causes us to remember. Holy Spirit, I ask now that you just bring to mind the ways that we have offended, offended you this week. Ways in which we have shown ourselves not to be worthy to even be here and share this meal. At the same time, would you give us peace an assurance that our sins have been paid for. Help us to celebrate that. Help us to have joy in it. And also, Holy Spirit, give us eyes to see how we can care for one another as we share this morning. And we ask that in your name. Amen.